Hey, and seasonal salutations. Welcome to episode 75. As always, thank you for hitting that play or download button to have a listen to my ramblings. Whether it's your first listen or your 75th, you are taking time out of your morning, afternoon, or evening, as the case may be, to tune in. So believe me when I say you have my gratitude. I am your host, Frank, and this is Silver Screeners. Let's just dive right in. It's December the 24th, and as we all got ready to adorn our living room windows with leg lamps and face slam into a plate of mashed potatoes whilst oinking like a pig... (laughs) 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 Mommy's little baby! (laughs) Seven C's, or Caesar, from the No One 15 All-Cast makes a return guest appearance... For a fun look back at 1983's A Christmas Story, directed by Bob Clack and starring Peter Billingsley as Ralphie, Melinda Dillon as his mother, Darren McGavin as his old man, Ian Petrella as Ralphie's little brother Randy, and Teddy Moore as his school teacher Miss Shields. Based on Gene Shepard's book In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash, this film was not a hit in its initial release, but has gained an unquestionably devoted cult following over the years thanks to home video not to mention the 24-hour marathons in the TBS station here in the U.S. But if the thought of talking about a 39-year-old movie has got you like, no! Chill out, Ace. Don't get your tinsel in a clump. Just remember the words of actress Lauren Bacall. It's not an old movie if you haven't seen it. As is usually the case when I have a guest on, our talk is pre-recorded, so once it ends, be sure to stick around for just a little bit longer for the poll results and listener trivia segment. You don't want to miss that. And with that said... Here is Seven Seas and Me, revisiting the fictional town of Homan, Indiana, circa December 1940. Hey, Caesar, also known as Seven Seas of the No One 15 All cast. Great to have you back. How you doing? Good, good, good. Thank you for having me back, Frank. And excited to talk about these holiday films, or actually film. Yeah, man. I can't wait to get into it. I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. Pretty, pretty anxious. Yeah, Christmas story. 1983 is a Christmas story. This is one of those movies that, in my experience, when you talk with people about it, they either love it or hate it. I don't know if you have the same wow. experience. You know, you're you know this. Now that you mention it, I think I've definitely met people that said it's okay. Like they're not big fans of it. You know, it's and and I don't know if that's just you know, there's something where a lot of people like something and there's always got to be a detractor, you know, someone that doesn't or just wants to be different (laughs) (laughs) just to be different. Yeah. So, but no, I've never really met anyone say they outright hate it. So I, I, and that would be like really surprising for me to hear someone say that I'm like, really, you hate a holiday movie. What, what, what did it do to you, man? (laughs) What did it judge up bad memories? What what happened? (laughs) You know? Well, the first time that I ever saw it was probably like most people years after it came out, you know, because when it was first out in the theaters, it was a, Mm -hmm. it was a flop. So that was Christmas of 83. So the first time I saw it, the first time I ever heard of it was when I was in college, my freshman year. And one of my roommates, (laughs) he turned to me and he said, oh, you got to see this. This is a start. This is so funny. It's so great. It was on TV though. It wasn't on a VHS. It was on TV. I think we were flipping through the channels and he says, oh, my God, stop that. Go back, go back. So I went back to it and it was the very end of the movie. It was the scene in the Chinese restaurant. Oh, and, okay. <laughs> and he's showing this. And I'm, <laughs> I'm watching. I'm like, what, what? He's rolling on the ground, laughing, clutching his stomach. And I'm thinking to myself, what is going on here? 
<laughs> so that was, that was my, that was my first experience with it. And then I saw it, the whole thing straight through probably, probably two years later. Mm-hmm. And then around that time, people were asking each other, you know, it was on campus. So people were asking each other, Oh, do you like this one? Do you like that one? Chevy Chase and Christmas story and mm-hmm. Tim Allen and all of that. And I remember one person I spoke with in particular, she said to me, it's very piercing. All the screaming got on her nerves. I remember she said, piercing. Oh, that was her word piercing. Yeah. I was like, that's weird. Like ears. What? <laughs> what? Like it pierced your heart. What the, fuck? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Christmas sort of sorrow <laughs> hath pierced my heart. Macbeth. I don't Chiseled some ice off your heart. Is that what happened? <laughs> like, but, uh, yeah. You know, I saw it too when I was young. I actually saw it all the way through as a kid. It's one of those movies that I saw and immediately it grasped me because it, I felt like even though it was taking place in a different era, it still had enough of the same stuff happening to me at that time as a kid. Like that makes sense, like the playground. And then, you know, you got kids that dare you and you're in school and you you have these things you want for Christmas and that whole deal, like for me as a kid, because I must have been when I actually saw it all the way through, it was probably like 86 or 87, you know, a couple years after it came out too. I was probably like six or seven years old. And I always just thought like, I wish I could say the things he's saying, but I know I can't. And like the way they talk, like when he gets in trouble for cursing, when he's helping his dad change the tire, you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> that, that shit really happens, man. You know, like yeah, you get taught by your parents when you're a kid and you curse and you know, if your parents bring you up that way, you know, not necessarily a soap in the mouth, but maybe a hand to the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you this. One of my favorite lines, <laughs> one of my favorite lines in the whole movie is when she says, I want to know where you heard that word. Oh, my God. <laughs> and the narrator says, now I had heard the old man use that word at least 10 times a day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my God, that is so damn true. That's, you know, definitely where Ralphie got it from, because like even throughout the whole movie, you see his dad cursing when something happens, when he's in the basement having to work on like the broiler. Yeah, where like she runs to the phone and you you hear the other end of the phone call. I still to this day, I still laugh at that scene, like the absurdness of the mom going, what, what? You know, you just hear it in the background. I like the footsteps you hear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then what I do, mom? (laughs) Oh, you know, speaking of the mother, it cracks me up because I just realized this is, I think, your third time on Silver Screeners. And out of those three times, this is our second movie that we're talking about with Melinda Dillon in it. Yes. She was in uh, Close Encounters, right? That that's what struck me when we saw it the first time. Or when I when I saw it and we talked about it, and I was like, oh wow, that's the mom from Christmas story. And it's too bad that she's not in the sequel, but to be honest, I love Julie Haggerty, so could be good. Yeah, no, that, that's that's like the saving grace because she's so great. Uh, Julie Haggerty is awesome. And she retired, I think, like in 06 or 07 from acting. That's why she didn't come out in the sequel. Melinda Dillon, you mean? But yeah, it's it's great, man. Without giving up too much away about it. I, I know we'll get to that later about the sequel. But did I, I? that's probably one of the interesting facts. I didn't know just doing a little digging into this movie is it's had like multiple sequels, right? Like technically with the same character. It has. It's strange. It's a franchise that nobody knows about. Mm-hmm. There was a 1994 made-for-video sequel. I think it was took place in the summertime. Mm-hmm. The summer and, story, I think they call it. 
and it was a completely different cast, same characters, different cast. But this isn't the 1983 Christmas story. Apparently, isn't the first appearance of the character of Ralphie. Yeah, it's like a TV movie, I think. I think something like that, a movie or a special. Yeah, and there was another one. So there, there was the summer story, and then there was a Christmas story too. I think that came out in 2012 with uh, Daniel Stern playing the part of the old man and a different actor. I think Braden and Masters plays Ralph in that one. Oh, man. But it's like now it's like people really taking notice of the one now, I think, because it has the same actor from the original. Yeah, that's been happening a lot lately with Ghostbusters and Halloween. And now this, you have a lot of these, you know, I think Star Wars pretty much kicked it off for the new generation. When the legacy characters came back in 2015, it seems like everybody is now with each reboot. They're trying to get as many original cast members reassembled as much as possible. It might be Star Wars that did that. Everything, man. Everything's remade or they're bringing back original actors and sequels. Uh, It's pretty crazy. Although, if I have to be honest, if I were an actor, a child actor who starred in a movie that has become over the years, you know, a beloved classic. If I were offered the chance to come back and do it again, why the hell would I say no? That's true. That's very Especially true. if you don't have too much else going on. Yeah. Although that's probably not fair to say. Peter Billingsley, he's really active in Hollywood. He's just behind the camera. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's popped up in stuff here and there. He was in Elf. He's in like some of the Iron Man movies and uh, MCU movies and stuff. But it's kind of crazy, man. Like, I know we're not talking about the sequel yet, but like to see where it kind of started and where it ended up and how much a part it is of the holidays here to me is crazy too. It's almost like a staple because they run that movie like 24 hours on I think TBS or something like that or TNT. TBS, I think it is. Yeah. 24 hour marathon of just showing the movie, just looping it continuously from what is it? Like 12 AM. I think it's like 12 PM on the 24th and it ends at 12 AM on Christmas morning. Or maybe it ends 12 AM on the 26th. I think it's like running all day Christmas day. It's just like, what's the thinking behind that marketing? Like, is it just we're have it on in the background? That's probably it. Have it on in the back. <laughs> have it on in the background while you're cooking. Or have it in the background for ambiance. I'm not. Is it part of your holidays? Like, is it something you always like try to make time for? Um, it's not at the very top of the list now. If I have to be honest, I'm not saying I dislike the movie. I'm just saying that there are a couple of Christmas movies that for me are just non-negotiables oh. yeah. and Christmas, <laughs> Christmas story. If I skip a year, you know, there are a number of movies where if I skip a year, it's okay. But oh, cool. there are others that are just unquestionably top of the DVD stack. Mm. We're going to have to find out what those are in a little bit, a little while. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Christmas Carol is one of them. Oh yeah. That's a classic. The old one or like which one? Not the shitty 1938 one. Okay, okay. Where the Cratchit family lived in a mansion and it was supposed to be the, the dregs of Victorian society. No, the 1951 with Alistair Sim. I love that one. And I love the George C. Scott one. That one's, yeah, that's the one I like too. Well, as far as a Christmas story goes, once I saw it for the first time all the way straight through, this would have been the early 90s, it became an annual thing for me for a long time probably stopped around the time now when i say stopped i don't mean stopped watching i'm not saying this is the last time i saw it but last time it was an annual must was probably maybe late 90s 
again, not because I was staying away from it or I'd gotten tired of it or anything. It was just kind of season where you have all these options to choose from and you just want to make time for everything and you can't because there's no such thing. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I think that's probably around the same time, man, maybe early 2000s. And then it, it became a thing where it's just if I have time, I will. It's not like you said, it's not the top of the, the stack for me anymore either. It's just one of those. If, if, if I get to make it to that, then I will. But it's not like a priority anymore. But if it's on in the background, like you said, I wouldn't turn it off. Yeah, exactly. There's so much nostalgia there for me still. Just even when I do get to see it, you know, you connect with those, those, you know, those childhood memories and stuff. That's it right there. Connecting with childhood memories. If there's one thing about a Christmas story that, to me anyway, differentiates it from any other Christmas movie, it's how painfully accurate so much of what childhood is that it represents. Like you said, the bullies in the playground, snowball in the face, the little brother. (laughs) Another one of my favorite lines, lying there like a slug, his only defense. (laughs) <laughs> yes like a turtle he just couldn't move <laughs> the mother wrapping him up too tight you know like take take care of your little brother oh my god yeah there's so much in there man um how do you want to kick it off like is there any scenes you want to start off with that's a good idea let's do that let's begin with favorite scenes funniest scenes or scenes that give you the feels or scenes that feel the most familiar to you this is okay. Like you can connect, I think the same way as I can growing up in a cold, you know, an area where you get all four seasons. So there's just so much in that movie that reminds me of that because I grew up, you know, around the snow when it was winter time and <laughs> just the way you dress up, how much it hurts when you get hit in the face with the snowball. And there's so many, man, there's just so many, but like one of the ones that gets me is when they're in the playground and Scott Fargus shows up and the other friends just diss him and leave him there by himself uh when he's like getting you know his arm twisted and yeah you know making him say uncle he's like oh no but the bell rang i gotta go but the bell rang you know what i mean it's like <laughs> nah fuck that i'm out of here <laughs> i swear to god that scene could have been filmed north school stoneham massachusetts where i grew up <laughs> they captured one of the recess periods right there <laughs> Yeah, man. It's that's what it reminded me of too. Just the recess, man, and that stuff. It's just so uh it's like ingrained in your memory from your childhood. Like the situations that end up happening. So like that or like the stuff that takes place in the school too, like with the teacher coming in and uh having to write the letter to Santa, you know? That that stuff as a kid, like it's stuff you do <laughs> as a kid, you know, you write letters to Santa. But like your teacher reading them, that that's kind of like weird to me. That is, yeah, it must have been a 1940s thing. Yeah. Um, imagine getting a real letter, like how bad it would be. Like no privacy. Can we talk about that teacher for a bit? I love yeah. that teacher. You have got to be an actress with a really cool sense of humor to play a role like that. She's just great. The way she just the way she's all stern using all of those stereotypical old school methods of doling out the discipline. Mm-hmm. He gets his tongue stuck to the pole. She knows very well who did it. But she says, well, Flick has refused to say who put him up to this. And she's talking to the whole class with a stern look on her face. But those who did it know their blame. And she stares straight at Schwartz and, uh, and Ralphie. 
And I am sure the guilt that you feel is far worse than any punishment. And then his narration kicks in saying, teachers love to say a thing like that. You always know it's better just not to get caught. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and he's kind of like, who, me? (laughs) (laughs) He had the greatest facial expression. I don't even think he talked all that much in the movie. Like his acting was really more just his His priceless expressions being dumbfounded being scared pretending to be innocent any emotion he was feeling it was just the little twinkle in his eye or the little twitch mm-hmm. on his face that's you know that's something very like astute and observant to just talk about in acting and in cinema and film in general sometimes some of the greatest roles are the ones where there's less dialogue and it's just the actor expression like the natural acting that comes out some of that stuff is the best stuff you know, and that, that's what makes movies special sometimes. You know, it's just the picturesque quality of, you know, whatever the actor is doing at the moment. Not like you know, sometimes dialogue can ruin a scene. And sometimes it's just that, like you said, the expressions that Ralphie has throughout the movie, it's just kind of what helps sell it. Like you said, like there's so many moments he's daydreaming. And like, I don't know if that was one of the main factors in casting the actor. It's just like, this kid like literally personifies what daydreaming is like. <laughs> there's so many <laughs> moments in the movie, right? Where he's daydreaming. You look like a space cadet. <laughs> <laughs> You're perfect. <laughs> Seriously, man. That's that's like there's so many moments like that where he's just like, you know, all the cutscenes that happen, like when he's talking about what he wants for Christmas and later on when yeah, the teacher does re- read the letter and she writes in red ink, you know, you'll shoot your eye out, which is mm-hmm. a running gag throughout the film. But then he has that like daydream where it's his mom and the teacher like, you know, singing that song like while they're on the board, like you'll shoot your eye out, you know. And that's a perfect example of what I was saying about having a sense of humor to play a character like that. Yeah, man. When he, in his daydream, when he's thinking about how he's going to get an A plus and she's sitting there and she's just writing F after F after she's not even looking at the essay. She just slaps one down on the desk and just does the F, takes the next one, just slaps the F. And she's muttering about how these are all awful. Look at this penmanship and the whole thing. <laughs> and then she and then she reads his and it's the same stock phrase he repeats with the whole movie. Official air rider BB rifle with a what was it with a stock? with a pump whatever the description of the gun is <laughs> she hugs it to her chest and she says poetry sheer poetry and she's wearing this hat with a feather sticking out of it romeo and juliet ballet music playing in the background she gets up to her mm-hmm. up to the, to the board and a plus 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 <laughs> plus, plus. <laughs> and he's blowing kisses to the rest of the class he brings her that giant giant uh, fruit basket and then he just stands up there okay you can take your seat now <laughs> <laughs> Although, if I can get sentimental for a moment, is the fact that not Miss Shields, not his mother, not Santa Claus, it's his father. It's the old man who comes through for him and gets him the the BB gun at the end. I like that. Yeah, man. It's really touching. It is a comedy, I would say, for the most part, but it is a family film and there are moments that are touching in it. And part of it is also the score that does a little bit, you know, the little, little tweaks of music that come in there and you kind of feel bad. Like when Rafi gets in a fight or when something happens and like that moment when there's that little twinkle moment, like you said, when he finds out that it was dad who got him the gift. Uh, Yes, it's pretty special still. Yeah, no, it it gave the movie, I think, the hat that it needed to, to work. Yeah, especially after all the scenes where Ralphie is, I don't want to say victimized, but he's 
jumped by those two kids, Scott Fackus and his crummy little toady, as he calls them. And then he gets the soap shoved into his mouth. And <laughs> like all these things keep happening to him. Santa Claus gives him the boot in the face and he goes sliding down. So oh, that was, scene, man. Oh, my God. Oh, I, I want to single out that scene special. because <laughs> <that's, laughs> That one deserves a spotlight all its own. Yeah, for sure. That part, you know, that kind of stuck with me, too, because I have a lot of those those memories, too, you know, seeing it because like the letter to Santa, the schoolyard stuff. And then there's a lot of decorations you th- you see throughout the film. So you definitely get the Christmas vibe. And then the department stores is something that sticks with me, too, because as a kid, it's kind of like the malls, you know, were kind of big back in the 80s, obviously. And that's like if you have older siblings, sometimes that's who your parents stick you with while your parents go do the shopping and like at the big department stores for like, you know, Christmas gifts, which is kind of like what happened in the movie where they're going to go see Santa. You know, Raffi, take care of your brother. We're going to go, you know, pretty much holiday shop and stuff. So that that part kind of sticks with me, too. It reminds me of that time because of the whole department store thing. And then, you know, kind of leading up to the big moment uh, with Santa. I definitely have very specific memories of, especially during the holiday season. It was like, you ever see the Brady Bunch movie? Yes. Okay. Remember, remember when Mike Brady says, kids, put on your Sunday best. We're going to see us. It was very much like that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying it was, you know, we would get dressed up, but but it it was always like, you know, a weekend activity, especially during the Christmas season where it would be. You know, my parents, me, my sisters, we'd be going through the mall. I'd be bored out of my mind because it was always, okay, let's go into Sears. Okay, let's go into Filene's basement. All these clothing stores that I couldn't have given two shits about. What got us through was, okay, then you can sit in Santa Claus's lap. That was like the bribery, if you will. And of course, you're all excited when Santa Claus, he would always say, I have an early gift for you. And it would be something like a crayon or a... uh <laughs> like a, like a, like a, like a friendliest menu to color something like that. And you, you struck gold with those. It's like connect the dots. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Santa. Oh my gosh, yeah, man, it's so funny because that movie that came out recently, I think, it came out last year, the Eight Bit Christmas movie about getting a nintendo which a lot of people were saying like this is this generation's christmas story instead of the bb gun it was like a nintendo i don't know if you've seen that one yet no i haven't what's it called again i think it's called eight bit christmas oh yeah i remember i remember seeing the ads for it i did not see it though no yeah you should check it out and it's kind of like that's what i also remember like in the 80s when that happened like there was like a display for like a nintendo you know or like atari and stuff like that um in the department stores i was like finally something i can do when i'm dragged to these trips (laughs) like (laughs) just leave me right here i'm good you know what i mean but back to christmas story the santa scene the line up to see santa i don't know man like it's still it's so memorable but then like my adult brain turns on like man that shit is dangerous (laughs) no way <laughs> oh my god there's like no way this would be like allowed nowadays like it's not it's the like slide you mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> all that <laughs> was that something that they really did back then yeah i don't know yeah i mean it could have been right it was set like in the the movie was in the 50s i think uh no actually it was earlier than that it was 1940 40s yeah okay. it was before the u.s entered world war ii it was like immediately right before Mm. you know the coming of age for the country with world war ii because gotcha. they had all yeah. of this was all those wizard of oz references wizard of oz had only come out that's one year right, ahead of that's time. right that's right that's right 
Yeah, that makes sense. That's why you have that girl behind him in line. I like the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> and she's dressed like a pilot. That's right. Like a pilot with the goggles. And, yeah. and, he, go, and he goes, uh, yeah. <laughs> he's funny, man. Yeah. He's, he's like, uh, um, don't talk to me. I'm thinking. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. <laughs> And the the kids' screams are would always stay with me. Just the way they scream because it was they were terrified. It made me wonder if it was more they were terrified of Santa or it was terrified of having to go down that slide. Oh, that Santa was pretty terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that Santa was a fucking evil demon from hell. <laughs> the camera work there, man. Yeah. And what uh, would you like, little boy? <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, man, that. that it was a terrifying, uh, terrifying Santa, and the moment that Ralphie sits on his lap and he just his brain goes blank, and he's like, he can't remember what he wanted for Christmas. So he's at that age, obviously, where he still kind of believes in Santa. Yeah, he was probably ten, maybe. <laughs> so the fact that when Santa told him the same thing, when he after he remembered and he he was pushing him down the slide with the two overworked elves that were like, "Man, we want to get out of here! Like, <laughs> Come on, kid." <laughs> so ugly <laughs> like get going <laughs> oh man it couldn't have been uh, like that's what another part that's just really funny about the movie is just like it couldn't have been a worse group of people playing those characters than the ones they had like you know just a terrifying santa and not the most friendliest looking elves uh, they look like angry elves He's a very angry elf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, he's an angry elf. <laughs> he must be a South Pole elf. <laughs> and that's it. He jumps on the table. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But it's funny because I feel like anything Christmassy that came out after this movie definitely got influenced by it. It's so funny, but I feel like a lot of other you know Christmas movies took stuff from it. I think a lot of depictions of little kids' perspectives of the adults around them during the holidays, you know, they're all stressed and they're all driven to the edge and at the end of their rapidly fraying rope. And meanwhile, the kids, they're like, I just want a BB gun. Yeah. I think Chris Columbus said that Home Alone was inspired a lot by Christmas Story. I can definitely see that, especially with, uh, especially with little Randy with mommy's little piggy. And then in Home Alone, you have the, you have the older brother Buzz downing down all the pizza. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's not so much a narration in it, but I feel like you get like this other perspective from the kid point of view. A lot of, a lot, like a lot of the film takes place through Ralphie's you know eyes and the same thing happens in Home Alone. It's kind of all through Kevin's eyes, you know, what's happening. So I think there's a lot of inspiration in there taking place and you also have that similar theme of little kid not against the world but well maybe to a point against the world you know mm-hmm. maybe to a point against the world ralphie has bullies to look out for he's got he's got the impossible to please miss shields that he has in his life he has he has his father who swears up a storm and you know what black bart who he imagines you know like he's He's always going to save his family from like fighting them and stuff. So that's very like, you know, that's kind of like uh, Home Alone. He's kind of like keeping the thieves out of the house type thing. So it's like almost a real world version of that. It's funny. 
and something else to add to that. You're right. And to add to that, simultaneously, he fantasizes about mm. the family turning to him and saying, we're sorry, we're sorry. Like in Christmas story, when uh, he has the life boy soap in his mouth and then he shows up oh, years right. later. Blind. And he's got the blind and the, the cane. And uh, what have we done to bring you to this lowly state? It was, it was, it was soap poisoning. <laughs> the dad's like, oh, yeah. Like they're all sad and everything. That's like, that's something as a kid that you do, man. You're like, oh, they're, they'll, they'll be sorry. You know, something happens oh, to me. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> so, and then in Home Alone, he, when he, the very first time that he sees his mother, when she finally makes it back home, she's all, Kevin, Merry Christmas. And he's looking at her all angrily and sulking and like, get bad, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You forgot me. What the fuck? <laughs> and then he goes running into her arms with a sentimental moment. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah, I can see, I can see a lot of parallels between those two stories feisty little yeah. protagonist who knows what he wants and when left to his own devices is really more resourceful than everybody gives him credit for yeah what do you think about the father darren mcgavin in the christmas story achingly accurate he was just so norman rockwell antithesis to the father figure when it came to uh, the ideal american life was in small town america in the 40s you know he was, you know, he loved his family. He enjoyed his turkey dinner. He <laughs> he hated those sons of bitches, buckuses, as he called them, the next door neighbor's dogs. He's all excited to get this leg lamp and he's all proud of it. He's almost like a Ralph Cramden type, you know, someone who mm. provides for his family, loves his family, wants the best for his family, but is just as grumpy and as grouchy as hell. The kids are whining. They're at the parade. And I want to see Santa. All right. All right. You know, as soon as we get into the department store. But I want to see Santa now. Shut up, Ralphie. <laughs> it's like, yep, there it is. <laughs> that's exactly uh, that's exactly yeah. it. I, I, I just found it in a comedic way. He was a very accurate portrayal of, you know, the man's man kind of father. No, I agree, man. They nail it. He's got, he feels like he has the weight of the world on his shoulders already. So everything else he has to deal with, it's just like not as important to him, but he just kind of like, he ha he's forced to have to deal with it anyway. So when he's dealing with the dogs outside or he's dealing with, you know, the car breaking down or he's dealing with the broiler or he's dealing with the kids, you know, it's like all that stuff is like, man, I just, uh, uh, you know, he just, <laughs> And dealing with the guy he's trying to buy a tree from. It's like all that stuff. Like you said, he just nails it, man. And I think I my favorite like, moment of his, though, my favorite moment of his is not even one where he has any lines. It's when Randy is hiding under the sink, the kitchen sink. This is after Ralphie beats up Scott Fackus and he's calling him, you know, all the swears in the book. And so their big fear is mommy's going to tell daddy that Ralphie said all those words and daddy's going to kill Ralphie. And so he's hiding <laughs> under the sink crying and she says, OK, stay there. I'll get you some milk. She gives him some milk. She shuts the door on him. He's under the sink. And then it's dinner time and she opens up the door and she says, OK, enough. Come out. He comes out. He joins the table and you see the old man watching him just climbing out from underneath the sink. Going over to sit at the table, he just raises his eyebrows. Eh, whatever. Goes back to his paper. <laughs> it's like, exactly. fuck it. I can't be bothered. Yeah. It's like, man, I'm back to my, going back to my paper. Now, like the narrations, <laughs> man, throughout the film too are funny because that there's that one too when they're going to get the Christmas tree 
and I think Rafi says something along the lines of, oh, my dad was well known throughout the tri-state area as being like a haggler, like a straight haggler. And he's like, eh, I don't know. This tree looks OK. Yeah. He's like, oh, tied to the, the car with some rope for you. He's like, sold. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he was lazy, like, man, I don't want to do this shit. It's heavy. Like uh, if he ties it for me, I'll take it. It was funny. Anything that was free, anything that was a handout, anything that was extra, he went for. <laughs> yeah, man. This is an award. This is a special a award. major award. <laughs> My favorite scene that does not involve Ralphie is when the lamp breaks and the oh, old man, man and the mother. Oh, oh, my God. That's when you, these the are two yes. professional actors who know the kind of movie they're doing. They knew how to play that scene. Because <laughs> that was. Oh, man. I love it. That was that it. was I just comedy gold. You've been yeah, jealous of this to... lamp. <laughs> that is the ugliest lamp I have ever seen in my entire life. He buries <laughs> it in the backyard. And, and then if you listen closely, I think I heard taps. Before that, though, there there's a really subtle thing that happens is he's like, go get the glue. And then she's like, we're out of glue. He's like, well, go get me the tape. He tells Ralphie. Like, <laughs> and he tapes his leg back together and puts it up in front of the window. And if you look in the background, Melinda Dillon is just cracking up. Like, <laughs> and you see it on camera. Like, she's got her mouth covered and she's just laughing. Like, and then it breaks again. And then she's laughing harder. <laughs> okay. I got to go back and rewatch that now. <laughs> that Watch that moment. And it's very like, oh my God, that shit is funny. It's like even funnier now. When you see that, like it's like these little subtle things that she's doing in the background. <laughs> oh my gosh! If if at that moment Darren McGavin would have turned around, he probably would have lost his shit and started laughing too, just seeing her laugh in the background. Like it just it was funny, man. When he first got the telegram that he won the major award, and he was saying it could be a bowling alley, and she said, "Where are we going to put a bowling alley?" <laughs> Brad Chili must be Italian. <laughs> this movie is so full of all of these great quotes that anybody who has seen it is familiar with there's so many man there's so many it's very it's a very quotable movie too you know that triple dog dare you that's something that you always remember like you said the soap poisoning uh fragile that must be italian that shit's hilarious though <laughs> there's so many man like and some of them are like like the ones that stick with me are just like the dumb ones a lot of the time when like like I said earlier, like the phone call to the other mom and you just hear the kid crying on the other end and you said the footsteps, like that kind of stuff just sticks with you. You'll shoot your eye out. You hear that throughout the whole movie. The first time you see Scott Fargus, like that character is funny because the way he gets described. He had and, yellow and eyes. The, so help me, yellow eyes. <laughs> yeah, like what? <laughs> Who has yellow eyes? And Grover Dill. Which to this day, uh, listeners, like I've never thought that character's name. I always just called him Toady because he gets described as a Toady throughout the movie. You know? I didn't even know he had a name. I just call him Toady. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. His character's name is Grover Dill. <laughs> He's like the henchman. <laughs> He's uh, like two inches tall. <laughs> yeah. And he gets punched like they're punching each other. And then when he punches them harder, like, oh, like it hurt. <laughs> so dumb, man. <laughs> And then, well, you know, some of the main ones, like, obviously, we talked a little about the Santa scene and, you know, him getting kicked down the slide and after he remembers. But the turkey scene at the end, and it sticks with me, too. 
when he when he says my dad was a self-described turkey junkie and uh he was always trying to get to the turkey and she's like don't eat that turkey or you get worms <laughs> like what <laughs> why would he get worms <laughs> well I, I think that whole running gag of him going in to sneak a little piece so to take the, the fork and the knife and like all of that just shows how you know, he was all macho and he was all, you know, I got my tools here and I'm going to fix this boiler. And he was all, you know, but the, when it came to his wife, he was terrified of her. She had, <laughs> she had him shaking in his boots. I mean, he jumps a mile out of his shoes when she says, don't. And he puts, he runs out the other way like a little kid caught the cookie jar, you know? Yeah, man. And then what ends up happening with this? Is, oh, I remember as a kid thinking that turkey looked like the greatest turkey ever. Like you would like just want a piece of it. It looks so good, especially if you're hungry watching this movie. You'll, you'll definitely think that if you like turkey. When it gets like messed up by the neighbor's dogs, it was just like, oh, man, like you just feel horrible. Sucks all the energy out of the room. And, and then they have to go get a Christmas dinner. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is when the head waiter chops off the head, Oh, man. That was a trick that they played on Melinda Dillon. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Because they're all they're all at the table and they're all, you know, the four of them, they're all chuckling and they're all laughing and everything. And the head waiter's, you know, saying, oh, you know, here's the turkey. What do you think? And oh, the doc, uh, whatever it was. What do you think? And the old man goes, it's it's smiling at me. And they're all laughing. And oh, no problem. Takes out the meat cleaver. Whack. And they had arranged that ahead of time, but did not deliberately did not tell melinda dillon that that was what was going to happen so as soon as he whacks the head off of the duck she screams and then yeah. covers her face and she laughs some more like that was all a legitimate reaction oh man that's crazy i didn't know that that's really funny like i, I, always thought I was like oh yeah man she just jumps man it was so funny but it amazes me how you know you hear stories like this all the time about actors unaware of a prearranged ad lib between a director mm-hmm. and you know somebody else in the scene they just managed mm-hmm. to stay in character and they just work with it. Like they don't look towards the camera. They don't, you know, they don't break concentration. They, you know, they don't break character. Yeah. People that are masters of their craft. I think that that happened to like more recently. I think that happened to DiCaprio, right? When they were doing Django Unchained, I think. Uh, they said, yeah, the glass, glass in his hands, wasn't it? Yeah. They kept filming, like even though it was bleeding and everything. <laughs> As someone who has <laughs> had a glass broken in his hand, I can tell you that could not have been pleasant. Oh, man. Yeah, it's crazy. But uh, that's dedication, I guess, right? Well, I got a couple of fun facts here about the film. I mean, I know I've already mentioned a couple, like Melinda Dillon's honest reaction. But I have a few things here I was not aware of until I was doing the research for this. Vanity Fair magazine reported that Shepard, Gene Shepard, put his stories to paper he was encouraged by Shel Silverstein to write his stories of little Ralphie down. You know, the children's really? poet, the giving tree, stories like that. What's interesting oh, wow. is that Shel Silverstein was also, was also a cartoonist for Playboy, but we'll leave that to the side. And uh, there was also uh, nearly two dozen of the stories that Shepard wrote ran in Playboy. So A Christmas Story wow. had its origins in Playboy magazine. That's funny, man. And then in 1966, the stories were all compiled into the book called In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash. Yeah. That's like the main canon is based off of that book, right? Yeah. And I think the sequel runs in the family, Summer Story, whatever it was. I think that was in there somewhere. Yeah, I think so too. 
Nice. He actually, I don't know, I didn't know this, but did you know that he makes an appearance on screen in the movie? No, was that? So Gene Shepard is, do you remember the scene in the department store? The Santa? Ralphie and Randy show up and they're about to get in line. And the guy says, the line ends here. The line starts back there. That, that's actually Gene Shepard telling him to go to the back of the line. Oh, that's Gene Shepard. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't either, man. And then he plays a good then, bastard. <laughs> yeah. And then the director also has a cameo, Bob Clark. Uh, he, he he shows up in the scene when uh, Ralphie's dad is out there and looking at the lamp from the first time in the window. And he's his neighbor. That's actually the director, Bob Clark. Oh, OK. Like, hey, he comes up to him. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> it's a major award. <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool, man. I just love the way the whole movie is a total satire of this typical working class family trying to live the American dream and everything that can go wrong does. Yeah, seriously. Well, I also have this one. Mm -hmm. There is a website called Flick Lives, and it's run by a shepherd historian named Jim Clavin, C-L-A-V-I-N. And it catalogs the real life inspirations for the characters. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> and according to the website, Flick was inspired by Shepard's best friend, Jack Flickinger. And uh. Schwartz, his friend Schwartz, the one who got the blame for dropping the F-bomb, Schwartz was an analog for Shepard's friend, Paul L. Ash Schwartz. And Shepard had a teacher named Miss Shields. Wow. So he didn't even like try to <laughs> no he didn't try to <laughs> a thinly veiled reference to his childhood uh, yeah it's like i'll be watching this movie like what the fuck that's me <laughs> and why am i dressed like the wicked witch of the west singing about c pluses <laughs> that's crazy there's a couple other ones did you know there was a cutscene that was like it didn't even make it to uh, there's no way to recover it anymore, but I guess there was a Flash Gordon scene that got cut. That was one of his daydreams as well. Flash Gordon? He was, he was like helping Flash Gordon against Ming the Merciless. And it was like one of his fantasy sequences that Ralphie had when he was thinking about like, he was helping him with the BB gun, you know, to fight off yeah. the Merciless. And it, it's funny because it never made it into the movie. It's like non-recoverable, I guess, because the film is gone and they can't even put it like DVD extras. But in the credits, the, the actors that played Flash Gordon and Ming the Mercer still show up in the credits of the movie. So I'll bet like, that's because of Screen Actors Guilds yeah. in order to get the on-screen credit. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting, though. You have to. I wonder if that was because of copyright issues. Although they probably would have gotten the copyright clear before they filmed it, I would think. Yeah, I would think so too. Huh. That would have added a new wrinkle to his uh, <laughs> to his fantasy yeah. life. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, the last yeah. one that I have is that the director Bob Clack he got the idea for the movie back in the 1960s. He was listening to the radio, and Gene Shepard was delivering a monologue, and the monologue was a story about a boy who put his tongue on a frozen metal pole on a dare. Oh. And he was listening wow. to this story. He was determined to listen to the whole story till the end. As a result, he was 45 minutes late for a date. And he said Ooh. to himself, I am going to do a movie of this man's work. And that was in 1968. Wow. But no, no studio wanted to touch it. So it wasn't until it was only after he directed the 1981 movie Porky's. 
Right. Yeah. He directed Porky's. Yeah. And so they said, okay, so you can direct a hit comedy. So go ahead and do your little radio show. You know, I didn't know. Did you know he directed Black Christmas too? 1974, the horror movie? Damn, that's one of my trivia questions for you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so you, you got it right. Okay, so let me just say this. Name the 1974 Christmas-themed <laughs> slasher movie with Olivia Hussey, Kia Doulier of 2001 Space Odyssey, Andrea Martin of SCTV, and my big fat Greek wedding, most recently in Only Murders in the Building, and Margot Kidder of Superman that Bob Clark directed. Say it again. What the hell? Black Christmas. John Carpenter says that was one of his uh, inspirations for Halloween. Um, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I messed up that trivia question. <laughs> no, you save, you save me time. There you go. <laughs> nice. Uh, let me see if I can ask you this next one. Name the 1982 comedy starring Richard Pryor and Jackie Gleason that featured Scott Schwartz one year before he put his tongue to that pole. I love this movie. It's called The Toy. The Toy. I love The Toy. It's definitely not PC nowadays, but... Uh, oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great movie, man. Yeah, good one, man. And then the last one I have has to do with the Christmas Story sequel. The one that went right to video, it runs in the family. The one that took place in the summertime. Name the Oscar-winning actress who plays Ralphie's mother in that one. Oh, man. She was also in Philadelphia with Tom Hanks, Parenthood with Steve Martin, and she got her Oscar for Melvin and Howard in 1980. Oh, and she's in Back to the Future 3. It's not... Uh... Oh. What's her name? It's it's not Mary Steenbridge. Is that her? Yeah, it is. That is. Okay. You gave me a lot of clues, guys, for this one. I was stumped. I stumped <laughs> Until he started saying the other movies, I didn't know. I only take half credit for that one. <laughs> you would have gotten it. Don't sell yourself short. Uh, oh, man. Nice, man. All right, I got one. Okay. Do you know which Oscar-winning actor almost played the old man instead of Darren McGavin? I don't know for sure, but I'm going to take a guess. Wild stab here. Was it Gene Hackman? No, he was. I'll give you some clues, too. Like you gave me. Uh, he went on to co-star in terms of endearment where he won his second Oscar in that performance. Jack Nicholson was going to be the old man. Yeah, man. Oh, no, man. no, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And he, he was interested in the script, but he was way too pricey for the studio. It would have doubled the budget of the film. I would just picture him running after Ralphie with the axe. <laughs> yeah, I think that was really the only one I had uh, other than the other ones you kind of already mentioned. So cool. Yeah, and I, I didn't know he, he directed Porky's either, man. You could say like he's influenced three different genres of film in a, for a, in a positive way, like like Black Christmas and horror, uh, you wouldn't probably have slashers if it wasn't for that movie. Um, the raunchy comedy in Porky's that that influenced so many comedies after it in the eighties, and uh, the Christmas Story, man, that's in the holiday, you know, genres that I think it influenced a lot of holiday movies too. So definitely, man, I think that's that's nothing to sneeze at. No, it's not. Not everybody can 
can do that. Yeah, can do that. Yeah, not everybody can hop genre to genre like that and do well in each of them. Exactly. Yeah, that's like uh, one of my buddies. Shout out Antonio from Cultworthy Classic Podcast. He he said there's like an old guard of directors. You know, kind of like Dick Donner was one of those directors too that could do movies in different genres and be successful. Whereas like a lot of times nowadays, you just see directors stick to a genre and that's it. And then when they try something different, it's like it's not as well accepted. Yeah, I think actors face the same kind of uh, stigma, mm-hmm. if not stigma, maybe pigeonholing. Or... Yeah, yeah, definitely. You can't break out of that package. Dagnabbit! Now, I have not yet seen A Christmas Story Christmas. I don't have HBO Max. I'm assuming it'll be available on DVD at some point, or at least I hope it will be. Yeah. So have you seen yeah. it yet? Yes, I'll keep it brief. It's a very heartfelt and different approach than what I was expecting. Uh, they do lean into the nostalgia and the characters of the original film, but it's done like in a tasteful way, uh, surprisingly a good way. And it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't compare to the original film, but it's a pretty solid sequel. It has a lot of heart and it has a holiday spirit throughout the story. Yeah, I would recommend it to anyone that's looking for a Christmas movie to see or definitely just fans of the original. Uh, I don't think you'll be disappointed because you really, and honestly, it's, Something that ha- tends to happen with legacy sequels or sequels that are done way after the original of something that's like a cult classic where you're just looking to see what they're doing, like the first move. You know what I mean? You're just looking for it. It's like you're almost like, okay, yo, there, there goes. They did it. You know, they, oh, there go. Yep, they're doing this just like they did the first time. They don't do that, which is great. You know, it's like a breath of fresh air. So, it's very enjoyable, a lot more enjoyable than I thought it was going to be, and unexpectedly has a lot of heart. So, yeah, I, I ain't going to front, man. I got choked up <laughs> a couple times. So. <laughs> and I don't know, it's, it's, I'm just becoming a sap and more sentimental as I get older and because I have kids, but it's it's something that sticks with you, man. I think in a good way. Well, I want to thank you, as always, just as I expected it would be. This has been a great conversation. Always great talking with you. want to make sure that I give you the chance to plug your show and any of your social contact info, if you have anybody you want to give a shout out to or anything at all. Uh, Shout out to Frank for having me back on the show, everybody. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Definitely. You know, and I do have another shout out for you coming up in our Thanksgiving episode. So that's what's coming out soon. And, you know, whenever people hear this it'll probably be past thanksgiving i'm guessing but our season's pretty much done man we have our christmas episode coming up and our what we like to call our cold weather season finale which is what we do at the end of every season we do a movie that's based or takes place in a cold setting so uh kind of sets you up for the winter time coming up and then you know we'll come back and yeah do season four man of our podcast it'll be season four crazy and thank you again for having me on. I'm always always uh, appreciative above it. And you can find us on all the socials at the No15 Allcast. And yeah, that's it, man. Well, again, thank you. Thanks for taking the time out of your evening to do this. It is, as of this recording, Monday night of Thanksgiving week. So have a great Thanksgiving, you and yours. I'll have you on <laughs> happily anytime. Same, man. Same. Definitely would love to have you back on whenever, you know, whenever you can. So thank you. Yep, say the word. I'm there. Nice. Thanks again. That was my conversation with Seven Seas, or Caesar, from the No One Fifteen Allcast. Big thanks to him once again for making the time for this episode, and be sure to check out his show. And now it's time to announce the results of this week's online poll. 
The question for this episode, number 75, asked you, which indignity from the film would you choose to live through if you had to? A. Dress as a pink bunny. B. Get so bundled up that you can't put your arms down. C. Visit a scary-ass Santa Claus and get his boot in your face. Or D. A fixed tongue to pull. From the Facebook group Silver Screeners, the pink bunny hopped to first place, claiming ten votes, with the scary Santa and the cold icy pole each scoring two. But on Twitter, Santa took the tinsel and 44% of the votes, with 33% to the pink bunny and 23 to the marriage between tongue and pole. On Instagram, McEwen Life goes for the bundle-up job that deprives the arms of their intended natural position, with the film-obsessed couple co-hosted by Scott and Shelley both going for the psycho Santa. So in aggregate, it's the deranged Easter Bunny, the pink nightmare from Aunt Clara. Big thanks to all voters. As I say every time, these polls are just silly fun, all geared towards generating interest in each upcoming episode. And don't forget to keep your eyes open on my socials for the next poll. Just check out the Silver Screeners group on Facebook, or you can follow me on Twitter at FilmBuff1974, or Instagram at FrankMendoza1974. You can also email SilverScreenersPod at gmail.com. One last thing before we close out, the listener trivia segment. In each episode, there is a different trivia question that is directly and sometimes indirectly related to the movies or the cast and crew involved. You're all invited to take part in it at any time. Just know that I err on the side of caution, so I only announce first name and last initial. But if you tell me otherwise when you send in your answer, hey, full names it is. You'll get a shout-out and a movie-related meme with a personalized greeting sent your way. And don't worry about timing either. Whatever episode you're listening to, answer any trivia question at any time from any episode. You'll get your meme and your shout-out. And if you're a creator of anything that you would like to promote, music, YouTube channels, websites, podcasts, I gotcha. Always happy to give a no-strings-attached plug because, as I say each time, people help people, and that's that. So last time, we honored the 75th anniversary of the original Miracle on 34th Street, and the question was... The Judge is played by Gene Lockhart, a pretty popular character actor in his day. Lockhart also played a starring role in what other classic Christmas film? It was released in 1938, stars Reginald Owen, takes place in 1800s London, and involves some paranormal activity. Lockhart plays Ebenezer Scrooge's hard luck employee, Bob Cratchit. And the answer is, of course, A Christmas Carol. A small turnout this time, but it's Christmas week. A movie-themed meme with a personalized greeting is on its way to my buddy Chris, host of the podcast called The Movie Psycho. For his show in the new year, he's going to be taking a look at the top 52 films according to IMDb, so that's going to be a lot of fun to listen to throughout 2023. And from Milan, Italy, DJ Nick, one of three hosts of the Gold Standard Oscars podcast. He and his co-hosts, Rachel and Zan, do a deep dive into each Oscar-winning Best Picture in their episodes, We've guessed it on each other's in the past and have plans to do it some more, so that is on the docket for the new year. Chris, Nick, thanks for playing. Keep your eyes open for those memes. And anyone else listening, please do not hesitate to join in. Always happy to hear from listeners. So go ahead and begin with this episode's question. I mean, what the hell? Last month saw the premiere on HBO Max of the long-awaited Christmas Story follow-up, A Christmas Story Christmas. Say that five times fast with all of the original child actors returning as the same characters as adults. Melinda Dillon, who played Ralphie's mother in 1983, declined to return, so Julie Haggerty stepped into the role. Haggerty might be best known as Richard Dreyfuss's wife in 1991's What About Bob, as well as 2018's Marriage Story, 2001's Freddy Got Fingered, and as a flight attendant named Elaine 
in what 1980s slapstick fast about a 747 passenger rail liner overtaken by food poisoning. It's a parody of the disaster flicks that was so ubiquitous in the 70s, and the cast includes Robert Hayes, Lloyd Bridges, Leslie Nielsen, Peter Graves, and Robert Stack. One of the film's most memorable taglines? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. Send in your answers, and as always, if you have any follow-up questions or have any comments on anything from today's episode, or any episode that you have listened to, just hit me up on my socials. Once again, FilmBuff1974 on Twitter, Silver Screeners Group on Facebook, Frank Mendoza 1974 on Instagram, or email silverscreenerspod at gmail.com. And that does it for episode 75. As I say at the conclusion every time, big thank you once again for listening. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Please feel free to give Silver Screeners a rating on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It does help to boost the show's visibility in these platforms, which only means more people can discover it, and I can keep making a better show for you. Catch you next time. My name is Frank, wishing you good health, good weather, and good movies. And until next time, keep on screening. And I leave you now with the soothing sounds of Ralphie Parker confronting his Aunt Clara over her present of a onesie pajama set, with big bunny ears sticking out of the head, a tail sticking out of the ass, and bunny heads on the feet. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it! I hate it!